Welcome to the Pacific Heart Podcast, Mental Health, Spirituality, and Culture. I'm Ravi Chandra, psychiatrist and author of the book Face Buddha, Transcendence in the Age of Social Networks, just published in October 2017 and available wherever books are sold. Details and links to more writing at facebuddha.co. Today we have a panel discussion that took place November 3rd, 2017 at San Francisco State University. Jeffrey Yip of the Nevermind Artist Collaborative moderated a discussion between me, Jewel Custodio, and Sheila Rivera on the topic of mental health and technology. Thanks and enjoy this uh, panel discussion. Uh, it's about uh, digital media. Um, it's about uh, mental health in, in, the, in digital media. So uh, first, uh, I guess I'll talk a little bit about uh, the installation. Um, so this is about mental health in the digital age, correct? So uh, we have two environments here. We have the white space and the black space. And uh, essentially, we're critiquing uh, mental health in the digital age. And uh, today, we're going to provide you with uh, first a panel discussion. And we have our panelists right here. Uh, and uh, we're going to do a guided meditation as well. And so first I'll start off with uh, who I am. My name is Jeffrey Yip, and I'm an interdisciplinary artist. Uh, I work at the intersection of uh, art and technology. And so I'm kind of like interested in kind of like uh, joining sound and light uh, to kind of augment space. And so that's kind of a little bit what, uh, what I do. Um, I'm part of the collective MacWaves who put together this exhibition about mental health in the digital age. And uh, essentially what we do is kind of create like immersive uh, experiences uh, through events and things of that nature. Um, we're very multidisciplinary as well. Uh, we have a bunch of different uh, skill sets in our arsenal. We have you know, rappers, we have painters, we have um, uh, videographers, photographers, graphic designers, graffiti writers. Uh, across the board and so you know we uh, one of the ideas that we like to play with is like creating something bigger than ourselves right and so we combine all our talents together and kind of just like create something something that we couldn't have done by ourselves and so this is kind of like a culmination of that this exhibition right here uh, never mind and so one of the things we like to do within our installation spaces is um, invite other creatives to come inside and kind of activate this space. And so uh, things like performance art and uh, music, and uh, in this case, we're inviting uh, mental health professionals to come and speak with us and start a discussion. And so uh, I'll go ahead and start uh, by introducing Jewel Custodio. And so Jewel is um, a mental health professional who actually works on campus and uh, works here on campus and she you know is involved in programs such as like animal therapy uh, what is it uh, sidewalk um, well why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about, more about yourself so. cool yeah peace everyone happy Friday finally right um, again, my name is Jewel Custodio, and I'm the mental health educator here on campus. I 
have a lot of experience working with students and in higher ed, and I just love working with this community because they're just so fresh and learning and growing, and it's really, really interesting to see students coming into college, you know, growing up in the digital era, right? Having to use their phone for every everything that they do. So some of our programs, specifically for mental health, you know, try to engage more of the, how do we develop feelings of community, feelings of belongingness, when sometimes students feel isolated just to their phones, you know? So again, some of the programs that we have are therapy animals. I get to bring dogs and cats and a pony to campus. <laughs> yeah, monthly, so that's really great. Another project that Jeff was saying was a sidewalk talk, and it's a community listening project where trained volunteers are trained in active listening, and we go out on 19th and Holloway, just set up some chairs, have some signs that say, hey, let's talk about anything. So we offer to listen to anyone about whatever they have to share with us. And that is really emphasizing human connection and how that is really, really essential to you know, our well-being. Um, and then I also lead an active mind student organization on campus. And they're changing the conversation around mental health among students, faculty, staff, and within the whole community. So those are just some things. And, We'll get into it soon. Next we have Sheila, and she's with the Filipino Health Initiative. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Um, um, I, hi, my name is uh, Sheila Rivera, and I'm a member of the Filipino Mental Health Initiative. And so what we do is uh, we really try, it's a, a group of people who come together to try to combat the stigma that arises around uh, accessing mental health services, which is there's a lot of resistance and a lot of um, just um, like doubt and hesitation when it comes to accessing services and to um, like even talking, even starting the conversation around it. So that's a lot of what we do. And we try to, we utilize digital media in, in different ways um, to engage our communities um, in these conversations and to be able to share people's stories to normalize this idea of um, sharing our experiences with each other so that uh, it may make it feel more comfortable um, to understand that like your people's struggles aren't just like individual and so it, it, we're hoping to decrease the isolation that people feel about the struggles that they experience in their lives. Um, I am a mental health clinician. I work for RAMS, Richmond Area Multi-Services, and I work with youth ages five to 18, a little bit older sometimes. Um, I work in elementary schools, middle schools, I've worked in high school. So I work with a broad range of youth. And, um, you know, like social media, uh, digital devices, all of that stuff has, like the internet has really impacted um, a lot of the work that I do. And, you know, and I'm excited to share a little bit about that, about my experiences with know some of my clients and how those two, how mental health and um, like therapy and uh, digital media intersect. Okay, we have Ravi Chandra, who's a psychiatrist and writer based on SF and has the, a new book coming out. Yes, it's actually out. So oh, okay. my name is Ravi Chandra. I'm a psychiatrist in San Francisco. I used to work in community mental health uh, at RAMS, actually, where, where, uh, where uh, you, you work now. And, um, 
and now I'm in private practice, but I'm also a writer. I blog for Psychology Today and, uh, and also the Center for Asian American Media about film. Uh, and, uh, but I'm primarily a psychiatrist in private practice. And so I think um, uh, my book is about the psychology of social networks through a Buddhist lens and, and trying to understand uh, uh, how uh, technology impacts us, our minds, and our hearts. But uh, I don't think the self exists without relationships. And that's the bottom line. And, and uh, suffering, uh, ultimately, I think, is a crisis in uh, disconnection. And so that's the question, is how, how, do these, how do our devices either bring us together or keep us apart? So I'm interested to hear about everybody's experiences with that. All right, so I guess uh, let's just go ahead and define like, what mental health is, right? Let's kind of like get the basic, uh, a basic understanding of what, how would you define mental health and how do you feel, like just generally, how do, how do you feel that uh, you know, the digital age affects mental health? Well, um, I think uh, mental health is wellness on, on all uh, kind of mental parameters, and uh, we're, uh, uh, we have many dimensions, biological, psychological, social, cultural, and spiritual. Um, so I think all of those impact our mental health in some ways. And when any of those is, is deranged uh, or, or, or somehow difficult, we can have uh, disturbances. So that's my kind of technical balance. Um. I just, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you, Rugby. I also just, I think it's just really interesting, especially nowadays, as more research comes out around, uh, when people think of health, they think specifically of physical health, right? And it's not, they don't realize how interconnected the emotional and psychological well-being um, is to it. So like, but right now, you know, there's um, research on how, um, like, you know, gut health and how like that impacts people with, um, like mood disorders and depression, right? And then and how even like, you know, exercising can impact mood and at, and at the same time there's, it's like, it's the other way around too. So um, mental health to me is, is definitely, it's just the idea of being able to um, enter a situation and um, adjust to it, like, like to be able to face stressors that come into your life and be able to maintain your like functionality and um, also um, just manage, to be able to manage and process the feelings that come in as, as it comes uh, your way. I think something um, that I think about when I think about health and when, mental health and when people first ask me is like, okay, do you wanna know what mental health is or do you wanna know what mental illness is, right? So those words are not synonymous and not interchangeable. Like we all have mental health and that's something that we need to accept and realize of one another, like everyone has mental health and what is mental illness, right? So those are two different things. And when I think of mental health, I always tell everyone, you know, it's everything. It's from the moment you lay on your pillow it's mental health is sleep, mental health is what you eat, mental health is your interactions with others, mental health is how you love. You know, so I really think about mental health as every part of your day and how is that whole, right? One more addition from the Buddhist perspective, I heard a Buddhist teacher say, we're all a little mentally ill until we're enlightened, which is uh, uh, being rid of 
uh, our egos, our self-centeredness, our greed and our hatred. So that's another way to look at it. All right, so uh, what would you say some negative impacts from uh, digital media, so what about the cosplay, um, would be to the mental health? There's a lot. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out, yeah. Um, okay, so in, in terms of like maybe, uh, in terms of like attention span, so like. I mean, I mean there's definitely been a lot of research uh, around how um, exposure, especially particularly early exposure to um, like digital media, to like iPads and to um, particularly like phones, smartphones and iPads where um, just the, the thinking and the, it's like the way that, it, that um, people's that people interact, particularly kids interact with it, and how it's decreased uh, people's attention spans. And um, and there's also been a lot more research around the idea of like how somebody is successful in the future. And it's like, how many of you have heard of the marshmallow test? <laughs> Sorry, I mean like it's just been in the news a lot recently, so that's why, uh, um, the marshmallow test is, if, if you correct me if I'm wrong, if, um, it's basically where they have kids, um, they had kids, uh, like stand against the wall and they put like, uh, and they, they said you, if you stay here for um, one minute, like okay sorry, so they put a marshmallow in front of the kid, and they said if you stay here for one minute, you can make that marshmallow two marshmallows, or you can um, get that marshmallow right away, and that's what you get. And so, and then they, they tested to see how long um, you know, they can delay like their gratification, right? Um, in order to be able to get two, twice the marshmallows. Um, and they found that um, kids who were able to uh, delay their gratification were more successful in the future because they were able to say like, okay, look, this is the goal that I'm going for and I'm going to hold off and kind of control my impulses and, and um, manage, you know, and, and just really focus um, in order to get more. Um, and and so that's like, and, but they're finding more and more exposure to like smartphones um, and, and, and um, like internet time and all of that other stuff um, has decreased the attention span for kids. Yeah, well, um, so, so you should all definitely, well, you should read my book, but no. <laughs> that's a little shameless plug. But should, there's an article in The Atlantic called uh, Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation by Jean Twenge, a psychologist. And so she's got a new book about iGen, which is folks born after 1995 till 2012, so that might be some folks here. But um, yeah, so how does this impact our minds? And they found that on MRI scans, uh, magnetic resonance imaging scans, that, uh, that people who uh, meet criteria for internet addiction, uh, the same parts of their brain, or many similar parts of their brain light up, that light up for gambling addiction and substance abuse. So it's, you know, that's the, the, uh, the reward, the addiction, uh, uh, you know, you're stimulated to check for notifications on Facebook, on Instagram, on this and that, the likes, you know, they engineered the likes on Instagram so that you would get a big burst of them. So that, that, that was found to be more reinforcing. People would check Instagram more often uh, when they would get that kind of burst of likes. Uh, so they withhold your likes and then give you a bunch of likes. So 
these things are designed, the technology is being designed to basically you know, keep you captive uh, in some sense, so that BDSM uh, uh, display up there is kind of appropriate, that you, you kind of get bonded to your device. Maybe you get attached in some ways, you're attached to your friends you connect to, but you also become attached to the apps, and you're, you, you know, we check our phones, uh, what is it, several hundred times a day, like every six minutes while you're awake. Like 2,600? Like 2,600, right, right. You tap yeah. your phone like about like 2,600 times in one day. Like that's like on average, that's what they, there was a study that happened. Right, and so that's, you know, should we take a look at that? How are these, how are we becoming, um, you, you know, you don't make calls on your phone, your phone calls to you now. So, um, It's interesting on campus, you know, hearing students say, like, you know, I can't function without my phone. I can't leave with the house without my phone. Like, every student has a charger in their backpack. Isn't your phone supposed to last you, like, the whole day? Like, students are having to charge their phone throughout the whole day because they're just using it that much throughout the day, right? So it's really, really interesting um, when I see, sometimes I see students on campus, you know, on their FaceTime, walking around campus, with their FaceTime, I was like, wow, is this like the norm now? You know, just using technology for everything. Like, how are we so dependent on on this, right? And I was just telling Jeff the other day, I think in Oregon, they just passed like a law. If you're crossing the street with, and you're on your phone, you could get a ticket. So it's like, wow, we have to go to extreme measures to really, really regulate folks and folks being attached to their phones. It's really interesting. Yeah, and just like thinking about all of like the types of things that they have out there. There's, you know, there's the, um, you know, like those, like in meetings they'll have those like boxes in the middle sometimes to have people just like detach from their phones and like, you know, or I've, I've even seen the ones like you can actually um, buy these things um, where it looks like little jails and it's like phone jails where you kind of put your phone away there and you're all like, and it's on a timer. So it's like, and, but the, just the fact that people have to quote, go to these extremes to be able to separate themselves from it. I think there was another, there was a study where they, they had, um, I think it was on like 60 Minutes or something where um, they hooked Anderson Cooper up to like a, a the monitor, like to, to monitor his heart rate and all of these other things. And they left his phone, like just like, just few feet away from him and um, and then they started texting it and then they wanted to see you know like and he, he's not going to notice like himself what his reactions to it but they noticed that his, his heart rate spiked his breathing became more labored and so there were signs of anxiety just you know because his, he heard his phone going off but like he couldn't get to it um, and so it's this idea of um, that you I work in middle schools and you have no idea how often I, we see like students coming in who are just breaking down because their phones have been taken away from them. It's not just like this phone, it's just like, oh my gosh. There are, you know, definitely this fear of like, if my parents find out, and you know, like there's that type of stuff where it's just like, I can't lose my phone, it costs a lot of money. But there's this idea of like, this is my connection to the world, and how are they feeling disconnected when they're in, like they're amongst their peers. It's because even when they're in class, they can get messages. Even when they're, you know, when they go to the bathroom, that's something that they can check on. You know, like, do I have a life? Do I have this? It's like, it, there's a lot of, like, um, social approval seeking, like, within 
through our phones, and it's not just kids. I mean, like, you know, I, I know, like, even for myself, sometimes when I'm feeling anxious, um, like, I reach for my phone, and then it's, it's just, like, this automatic, like, yeah, and I hate it, and I hate myself for, for like, being so, like, like, automatic with it, but it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, I think anxiety is a good word for it, and I also like to think of it as craving. We're craving connection. We're curious about information coming in. We can't, uh, we're afraid of missing out. Um, and, and so, uh, so yeah, so uh, how does this change our experience of ourselves? Uh, uh, what, what is our mind like on technology versus, you know, now people have digital retreats where they, uh, where they just abandon the devices for a weekend at a time. Digital fasting. Digital fasting, right. There's a, there's a national unplugging day. Um, so this is all of the, uh, the rebound from this. So I think, you know, technology is so exciting, right? I mean, so many ways. It's like you can do so much with it. But now I think we're, we're having what I call uh, in my book is kind of an identity crisis. And uh, we're going through stages of culture shock uh, with uh, our technology, which is infatuation, and then maybe some ambivalence, and then some kind of readjustment to it. I mean, people get this when they move to another country. So we've all moved to this new world. And I think now we're, you know, the, the experts, Sherry Turkle, Jerome Lanier, uh, over 30 years, they've become skeptics. They were enthusiasts 30 years ago. Now they become skeptics about technology and society. Um, so, so I hope, you know, uh, in society, if it takes us 30 years to come to balance about this, well, then I think there's going to be a lot of difficulty in the meantime. So what it sounds like to me that you guys are discussing, too, uh, I think a large part of this issue is like, um, like a double meanings, right? And so uh, when we get these like digital rewards, like you know uh, thumbs ups and you know text messages and emails and, and things of that nature, um, our our brain releases a chemical called dopamine, and uh, essentially it, it acts like a drug, like you guys mentioned before, and like we become addicted to this dopamine. And um, so, how would you say this kind of like plays into like say things like online dating or like gaming or even like porn or things of things like that? So kind of like this like loop, this like loop where we kind of like get stuck and like ha having to come back to uh, to getting this like like to, uh, you know to post something on Instagram and like you know having that self validation. Um, um. I am trying to, I can't remember, sorry, I'm, I'm eating all these articles and I swear I have links to them if anybody asks me. <laughs> um, but there is, a, I was just talking to uh, my partner about um, the idea that um, the internet and, and, um, and technology are replacing, uh, replacing drugs. They found that, uh, that drugs, drug use now, um, especially, you know, we're, we're in an opioid epidemic and all of that other stuff. Um, drug use now amongst uh, teenagers, like 10th through 12th graders, have dropped to an all-time all-time low in 40 years, like lowest. Also, teen pregnancy. Yes, teen pregnancy and all of that. Yes. So, I mean, like, and that's really great. And uh, like, the thing, the difference is though, is that um, the article also stated that um, it's been pretty. Um, it's it was like a blanket drop. Versus, I think with teen pregnancy, I think it depends on the communities. There's like difference in education level and all of that other stuff. But with uh, with drug use, it's been 
like a, just a blanket overall, no difference, not much of a difference between race and um, class and gender and um, all of that other um, demographics. And uh, one theory that's been thrown out there is like it's because uh, it's potentially because people are replacing this these addictions with um, and these coping techniques with uh, technology. They're, they're replacing it with their phones. I, I know that I've worked, I don't know how many clients I've worked with, um, too, too many to, to count that have, that stay home, um, aren't, um, you know, like they're chewing to school, like can't really get out of bed, very anxious, very depressed, and but what do they do? They just stay at home all day and, and play video games. It's not that they're doing drugs, it's not that they're drinking, it's not that they're cutting school to go do something else, it's because like, they can stay at home and still feel some sort of connection to people. They're still, um, and, and you know, and they can get away almost in a fantasy world as well. I mean, like, you know, so there's just the idea of like addiction and, and the self-satisfaction, you know, like the, that they get from, from accessing these, um, like accessing technology is, is just really, like it's just like really strong pull. I don't actually know the answer to the question. Yeah. <laughs> Someone with a little bit of so yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, and uh, uh, addiction is there. I mean, you know, I have, you know, literally a couple, the, the woman of the couple, uh, this couple came in and said, um, I literally have to, I'm, di I'm at dinner with my boyfriend, or my, my partner, and uh, I have to, uh, I have to text him to get him to look up from the phone. So this is how uh, how much they, are, uh, they can potentially displace uh, real people. Um, and uh, yeah, when we're when we're at home alone, we're, we're basically we're isolated with our screen. Even though we feel like we're connecting, we're still alone. So we're more vulnerable in some ways uh, to cyberbullying. Seven to uh, sixteen percent of uh, teens report cyberbullying. Um, and uh, and the flip side, you know, we might post and feel good, uh, get a little excited, and feel good when we get uh, likes on our posts, etc. But the flip side of that is that uh, we feel shame and rejection when we don't get liked. And so it's this, it's this weird uh, uh, realm uh, which can actually, you know, even, even our casual interaction on the site, when we're just scrolling past a news feed, you're actually ignoring 95% of the people. I mean, you wouldn't go to a party and you know turn your back on somebody who's talking to you. But we're kind of forced to do that online, and, and that's something which you know I, I, I found troubling. I mean, it's hard to it's it, you know it becomes hard to uh, scroll by somebody. I mean, one guy actually invented a a bot that would like all his friends' posts, and uh, Facebook found out about it and banned it. So you know it's only only authentic disinterest is allowed. <laughs> I think something that Sheila said that was really, really important is that folks are still able to be in this fantasy world, right? So it's a social media, technology, digital era, right? It's, it's a world that you literally can craft how you want, how you want it to be, who you want to be friends with, what you want it to look like, and I think that's why you know the dopamine cycles are so. It keeps on going, right? It's because you you're getting that satisfaction off of the world that you created on social media, 
and technology. So I think that's really, really interesting. Okay. Well, um, so one of the things that we do uh, like on social media is like we tend to post pictures of ourselves and you know selfies, and it's like we're on vacation or like staycation or like whatever. We have these hashtags, and you know it's oftentimes this very curated image of ourselves, this very kind of like, hey, look at me, I'm happy, I'm beautiful, I'm doing this great thing. Um, and there's studies that have actually shown that like, you know, people who tend to do that more actually are more depressed. And so what would you have to say about that uh, in response to that? Just a comment and realization. Sometimes like when we do post like our events or what we've been up to, Nowadays, it, when you see someone you know, like at a event or whatever, they're just like, oh, hey, I saw that you went to Thailand, right? Like, oh, how was that? It's not like a very, it's not open anymore. It's not just like, hey, how are you? It's just like, hey, I know what you're doing. How was that? You know, like, not, I, I think that's really interesting. I don't know if that is a good or bad thing, but I, it's just something that I've noticed now. Like, that's how we interact with people. It's just like, what they've been posting on social media, you know? But like, what about everything else that's not there? Um, I, <laughs> just thinking about personal experience yeah. too. Um, I, I've had this conversation uh, with my partner before about how sometimes, like, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when, <laughs> sometimes when like, like I've posted something that's just like this like grand um, adventure, there's like not as many likes on it, but if I post like a donut,
Yeah, and uh, a patient of mine called uh, Facebook uh, highlight the highlight reel or success theater, uh, where you just you know, you're always caught up in this uh, this uh, social comparison. It is probably one of the biggest reasons people get dissatisfied with Facebook uh, and other social media uh, because the the comparison is always bad. I mean, it's somebody doing something great or winning some award or eating a great donut and you're at home in your pajamas looking at a screen. So you always feel like a loser by comparison. I mean, but we're all that way. I mean, we, you know, we, nobody posts that, that uh, picture. But I mean, that's, that can be one aspect of it, kind of this curated uh, life. But you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like you know, all, this is just is also a mode of communication. So people have you know, gotten somewhere, and maybe breaking stigma, we can talk about that. There's been mental health campaigns online and sharing depression and now most recently the Me Too campaign. So these things can definitely raise the profile of important issues. And um, you know that's happening alongside social media uh, and amplified by social media. So I, I can't say it's all bad, of course. But the question is, for me, it's always like, OK, that's great that we're connecting about this important topic, not just the highlight reel. But it always comes down to the individual relationship. Whatever you've shared, depression, sexual harassment, or whatever, you're not going to, I mean, you may find a measure of comfort by somebody liking or commenting, but ultimately I think these are all come down to some kind of empathic failure. And you can't truly transmit empathy and relationship across a screen. That requires us to be face-to-face. -face. Uh, that requires us to be heart-to-heart. -heart. And, and that's what I think, you know, if we think of it as a substitute, then we're, we're putting ourselves in danger. Okay, um, so yeah, that's, there's a lot of like detrimental aspects about, you know, the digital media, digital kind of like social media stuff on mental health. Um, but what are some of the kind of benefits, right? And um, what would you say some of the benefits are? Like we can, there's like status trackers on applications that we can use. Um, there's, uh, are you guys familiar with any, any of those? Oh uh, yeah, there's so many. It's just, I think, um, as we grow to figure out like how we interact and how, like, what the impacts of, what the impact of um, this digital age is on like each individual, um, and I think things are catching up or trying to catch up now. Like there, there is, um, there's so much information out there. So um, where people can look up like how to, just as much as people can look up how to commit, uh, like how to suicide, um, people can also look up resources and look up um, and feel connected to people. And you know, look even, you know, something that is like, you know, even for someone who, for my generation, it feels very odd to talk about, to be so open about like suicidal thoughts and feelings. Um, like on a Tumblr post or on a like Facebook post, um, like that feels very, very like odd to me. But at the same time, like with people who like who are younger than me, and particularly even my clients, they're finding connection. They're finding people who are there who are saying, "Hey, don't do it," um, you know. And so, and, and you know, and again, that only goes so far, right? Because it's they're kind of 
there's a part of them doing that because they want that response and they're looking for it. At the same time too though, there are people who feel suicidal and are reaching out for help and are just looking for some acknowledgement of their work, right? Um, so there's, there's all of these things going on about like information out there that can be really helpful at the same, like, at the same time. Um, and then there's like, sorry, just on the topic of suicide, there's now there are uh, chat lines and text lines where, uh, you know, especially with like younger people who feel uncomfortable talking on the phone because that's just such a foreign thing to them. I, I hate texting and so I would never text somebody, but this is how they find comfort. This is like, this is where um, like talking and conversations are just, I think people have a hard time. People are having a harder and harder time having them. Um, so having these outlets are just like, you know, some of the ways that uh, the digital technology is catching up. There's like mindfulness apps and all of these other things. I'm gonna pass it along before I like talk to Mike. <laughs> yeah, so a couple of things I wanna highlight is I do like a how to help a friend in distress workshop on campus. And one of the tools, guides that I used was actually developed by Facebook and the Dread Foundation who work on mental health on campus. And it's actually a guide to see like, what are people posting and what like emojis, is that what it's called? Yeah. Emojis um, <laughs> that people are posting that like may signify to others that, hey, this person might need to be reached out to. Like how do you talk to a a friend or someone when they posted something online that may look like they might want to harm themselves or others. So that has been a great tool and I use that to show my students like, hey, this is a way you could you could tell and really help someone. And also off of the mindfulness apps, I also use that in my workshops now. It's like being mindful is hard. <laughs> Especially with this generation too, it's like how do we do mindfulness the way that they know how to do it? So introducing like free apps that guide students to do practice it on a day-to-day -day basis and it, have, it sets reminders on your phone like, hey, you need to be mindful today at this time. So it's really cool and this generation, they know how to respond to it and they know how to use the technology to for their benefit, right? And then one last thing is, you know, because of the big, big diaspora, like my family's from the Philippines and it's just like, I grew up here in San Francisco, but how do I connect back to my roots and to my motherland? And it's like, there's a lot of family in the Philippines I don't know. And I recently got married, right? And I'm not close with my dad's side. And someone reached out to, to me on Facebook and it was like, hey, I'm your um, dad's brother's daughter and I heard you're getting married, congratulations. Like that's so wild to me, like how did you find me? I, I didn't even know like you existed. So I think that's a really, really huge benefit of social media is like how do we keep our connections um, in other countries and with our families and our, and our home. Yeah, I think that geographic uh, connection is probably is the, the major, you know, uh, one of the major benefits. Uh, also, if you're, if you're isolated, if you have a hard time uh, physically uh, getting out of your house, for example, you might find it the only way to connect. So there are all those those uh, possibilities. Um, but I think, and I think it's so great what, what you're doing, Julie, in trying to bring Karen to 
uh, the experience of technology uh, and, and promoting that because I think um, it can become uh, a way to, uh, to kind of take the easy road and to not connect to people or to cyberbully at the worst. I mean, you know, uh, uh, people, we talk about airing personal difficulties and unfortunately there's, you know, there's a certain percentage of people out there who can become sadistic. Uh, and uh, there, there's something called cyber disinhibition, uh, where if you don't have uh, facial contact, uh, tone of voice, body language, all of these things which are kind of soothing to our brains and bring us into connection and relationship, if you don't have those, if you're just looking at a screen, you're more likely to become cyber disinhibited and say things that you would never say face to face. And so, um, so that's really important. I mean, they're having, you know, now they're, they have classes I know as early as middle school I've heard on how to deal with uh, social media and technology. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think it's something we need a lot of wisdom about. I mean, this is a new presence in our uh, uh, society. We have to develop wisdom. So just like two more things. Um, one, I mean, like I, I definitely think that's fascinating, and you know, and, um, I wish that they would have that at the middle schools that I work at, because like I definitely see see the cyberbullying happening. Um, I like, one of the things I do want to highlight too around um, digital, like around the digital age and social media is that. It also makes it accessible for um, like celebrities and um, to stuff to, to increase the conversations around um, around mental health, um, like Chance the Rapper, I think Demi Lovato, uh, and some other like stars that talk about what it's like like dealing with um, like depression, dealing with anxiety, um, and all of that other stuff. And it also um, and just like on another note, I have I use. Um, social media in my in my therapy room um, and so like with my clients you know it's amazing to see like before um, if they were in conflict with somebody else they wouldn't they would just tell me about it which is really helpful because it helps them process it but now it's both like it's both helpful and not helpful for them to come in and say here look this is the text this person gave like aren't they horrible and you know and so it's it's like it's really interesting how it comes into session um, and how to manage it as a therapist. Um, and then also, like, but it's also, like, another way that it's been used also is um, with, like, when people bring in, like, music or YouTube videos um, that they feel really connected with. And, and that gives me an interaction with my clients on another level that I wouldn't have, like, with them just talking to me about something. Because it, it really, music and videos can evoke a lot of emotion. And so in those, even in those settings, I'm able to kind of connect with them in a different way that, that I like, don't think I would have if they didn't bring some of that stuff in. Would you guys say inner culture perpetuates the stigma against mental health or, or maybe helps it? What would you say? Uh, like with most things, I think it's both. I think there, there, there's the, uh, uh, like we talked about the campaigns for mental health awareness, which can spread virally and raise awareness at least for short bursts of time, and perhaps over time people become more aware. Um, uh, there's the, what they call them, um, uh, um, uh, there's an Instagram campaign, and I'm forgetting the hashtag, but 
where, where people paint their faces, use makeup to display their inner emotional states. Oh, it's uh, Inside Out campaign or something like that. Yeah, and so, so I mean, there are these uh, things working at the edges. I mean, there's you know, we talk about the kind of the the aim for a beautiful perfection and taking the perfect selfie. And so, I mean, there's you know, there's the bad side of that. There was one uh, uh, one teenager who was taking 200 selfies a day because he became, well, he had obsessive compulsive disorder and body dysmorphic disorder, sort of distorted ideas about his appearance, and so uh, became suicidal. Uh, and technology kind of, you know, made him uh, crave this perfect image. Um, but luckily, he recovered. He's, he's an advocate now. Um, but uh, but at the same time, there's a campaign called Ugly Selfies, uh, which is to promote, you know, just regular body image. But on the other hand, there's always on the other side. Uh, there's there's a, a lot of body image dissatisfaction, uh, uh, particularly on people, for example, who follow celebrities on Instagram. So, um, so that's a correlation. So I think that's why it really comes down to the individual to like become aware, and this is for me uh, in my developing my, my book, but how mindfully to look at your uh, uh, use of technology and see how is this affecting me? Where is this leading me? What's my intention? I think especially on a college campus, me and my mental health interns were always trying to figure out what's the best way to outreach to the other students, what's the best platform, and it's really, really interesting because we have a Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we just created a Snapchat. I was kind of against the Snapchat at first, but I actually went to a conference at UC Davis yesterday, and they said one of the most impactful campaigns and the best way to reach students is Snapchat. So I guess that's something that I gotta learn. <laughs> but um, definitely using those platforms to to reach a wider audience that we wouldn't necessarily um, see face to face because they're a, this is a big, big commuter campus. So I think one of the best ways to outreach for students for our specific campus is through social media. So, you know, for people who are having, um, you know, su suffering for, like, mental health uh, problems uh, pertaining to the internet and, like, you know, digital culture in general, what would you, what advice would you give them? What types of, like, self-care would you advise? Turn off your phone. <laughs> I mean, try to get away. Um, just just take, take a break from it. And then, like, I think one of the biggest things is to find your identity outside of it of the internet, out of the digital media. Um, and I think that that uh, can be really hard, um, especially because there's almost this, this need, like you subscribe to these apps without actually paying a subscription for it. Um, like you've, you've signed up for something without even knowing that you signed up for it. Um, and so, yeah, I think it definitely would be try to figure out how to, um, detach for, from it, and then if you do, like, if you are on it, try to use it for, to, for as a way to connect, like, maybe in person with somebody, um, like, you, using it as a tool to connect you to other people um, more intentionally. Yeah, so for 150,000 years, that almost sapiens has been here. 
we've uh, been connecting face to face. And uh, so much of our modern mental health problems is because of isolation and disconnectedness. And so, so I think I agree. It's like, uh, how, do you, how do you bring it back to the heart? How do you bring it back to your human relationships with other people? How can you be vulnerable with other people in person? So, uh, uh, yeah, so I think those are all questions that, that we have to I think we were talking, Josh, but I guess the, the biggest message is like, how do we not have technology control us, but we control technology, right? And I think it sounds really easy. Like, hey, okay, right? But it's, it's just something that we have to focus focus on and really have good intention about it. Um, how many of you have been, I mean, this article's been going around, like have you heard of, like I think it's forest bathing? Um, it forest bathing? Like it's, um, there's this like research in Japan of saying how if you get, um, like go out into the forest and, um, and how um, it actually starts to lower your stress level, um, cortisol level and, and starts to really kind of reset uh, your system and how um, beneficial it is. Um, and so like in, you know, I, I go um, backpacking every once in a while and, and I find that, um, that after a few days, like I will not sleep comfortably on a sleeping bag on a <laughs> ground, even with a sleeping pad on it but I will find myself more restful, uh, more rested than I do when I'm here. And I think there's actually a theory out there that's saying that it's, um, not, it's not that we're not getting enough sleep, it's that we're not getting enough darkness. Um, and if, you know, because we have light all the time, we have like our phones, so we stare at our phones all the time. And so um, there's a sense of like, and also um, like, when our phones are closer by, it's like the anxieties are still there and we're still connected to it. And so, um, but finding a way to detach, I think can be really, really helpful. Just a quick note, actually, there was a study that said you could get an hour or two of, of uh, more sleep just by putting your phone in a different room. Don't use it as an alarm clock, get an alarm clock and put your phone in a different room. Well, yeah. I think we'll go ahead and uh, move on to Q&A if anybody has any questions for the panelists. Um, questions and I think that's why we're here. Um, I'm curious, um, is this your book? Is this your book you're talking about? Yes. I'm curious if you show or if you start talking about some of the answers you come up, you came up with during this process. Um, I'm curious to finding out more about potential answers. I'm not saying there are answers out there and I'm this new type of a person who needs something to follow and I still agree with you that everything is up to debate and there's good and bad in everything, and there's gonna be exaggerations uh, depending on the, you know, um, t 
time that we're living and things like that. But I hope that you are one of the persons who have um, put some thoughts on paper. And I'm looking forward to reading your book, if that's the case. Thank you. Well, well I definitely, uh, my book is Facebook uh, Transcendence in the Age of Social Networks. A large part of it is memoir, also exploration of psychological research about social media, and also an introduction to Buddhism. So yes, I do explore uh, what happens to what happened to my mind and heart, and what happens, what research shows happens to the mind and heart on social media. Uh, and yeah, most of the research is negative about social media: depression, anxiety, loneliness, low self-esteem, uh, even suicidality increased with increasing time on social social media. And there. Uh, I think now three studies that show a causative link. It's not just a correlation. So that's there. But I think I, I just want to hesitate and say, you know, people ultimately, you know, we we have to e examine ourselves. Who am I? Who am I in relationship to others? Who am I in relationship to technology? And that's the identity crisis that I think we're all going through in some way. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I, I mean, I think I, I you know explore that question and. Uh, and come to answers for me. But I also recognize that uh, young people are developing norms and developing ways of interacting that might uh, offer other answers. So I can't you know, say I have the answers for everyone in every situation, but I, I, I hopefully it's food for thought and uh, uh, save you some time. I mean, it took me five years to get to this point, so, so hopefully it'll save you some time to, to think about from my understanding, there's like uh, there's definitely studies that are being done, uh, specifically with um, things like uh, VR. And so what they're doing is they're kind of uh, getting like PTSD patients or people with any kind of like mental illnesses, and depending on what it is, they'll recreate the situation. And uh, that coupled with therapy uh, has proven to be very beneficial. And so there's things like that. Um, there's also uh, my understanding. There's like kind of like. Uh, machine learning and like AI and uh, being able to detect uh, certain like, facial features and, and things of that nature and so they can kind of like further uh, investigate, uh, which could kind of be scary if it's utilized in different ways as well, but like I think on in terms of um, trying to figure out if someone's suicidal or not, and like what Jewel was talking about, like the Facebook algorithm um, that detects like, in, in the verbiage, right, and the emojis and the language that we use, uh, how like, whether or not this person is depressed or not. And I think that's a good step. And uh, I think just like communities in general, like uh, what is it? Uh, um, what's the upvote, uh, the upvote, downvote one? Reddit, right? Reddit, Reddit. Okay, Reddit. It's a big website. Okay, so Reddit, right? Like there's a bunch of communities. Uh, that you, so basically if, you're, uh, if you have like, um, what's it called? Um, you know, PTSD or if you're bipolar, you can kind of go into uh, this website and just kind of like hear other people's stories and see how they cope with it. And uh, you can kind of write your own things. You can help people, you know, that you, the issues where you feel like you kind of like overcome, you can kind of help people. And, and helping people is really uh, kind of healing as well. And so there's definitely a lot of like things you can do on the internet um, that can kind of like help you steer you that in the right direction. So. You know, it seems like we're kind of moving in a time where, you know, technology is advancing faster and faster. We're getting a lot much more instantaneous gratification with social media, all these different 
platforms, new platforms that are created, um, other platforms that are getting you know destroyed and superseded by others. You know, with all of this technology moving uh, so fast, like at what point, you know, is it time for us to say we should sign off or to disconnect? Because you know, although there's benefits of connecting to you know other families from the motherlands, from where we come from, who we, uh, where we've immigrated from, you know, at what point do we kind of put a pause on, you know, all the external influences that continue to make it more addictive and more, more pleasuring, uh, more, you know, more of something that we want to experience, you know, because there's so much marketing influences like out there that's essentially controlling the way we form our identities, you know? And sometimes we think that, you know, it's it's decisions that we've made independently, but, you know, we're constantly living in a society where consuming is kind of like an everyday habitual practice. You know, so at what point, you know, do we say that it's kind of stopped? Do you mean we as a society or we individually? Like, like Both, a, like yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's, that, is a complicated question. Um, I mean, what are your where there's there's the uh, there's that uh, um, Guardian article that's like our minds can be hijacked or something like that, uh, where it talked about how um, people who have like people who work for Facebook and um, like they don't they bring their kids to schools that don't use social media that don't use iPads that don't use like like there there is a growing movement of um, engaging their kids in schools that don't utilize social media because of the attention, um, the effects on attention, because of the effects on depression. And, and so, which is really odd <laughs> because more and more schools are attempting to bring in all of these um, devices, all of this technology into our um, schools. Um, in order to bring us to the digital age, you know, so like, what does that mean to our society? If you know, like, what and how does that impact us as a community? Um, if the people who are creating these apps, who are creating these forms of interaction, are actually think it's bad, you know, like how is how is that different than creating these like creating um, these you know potentially like drugs is like it, it's. You know, drugs are different because it, it does have an immediate like effect on on the uh, on the physical health that can like kill somebody. You know, like potentially. Um, but but in the sense of like, you know, like how how messed up is that that um, that like that that's happening, right? And then at the same time too, like as in on an individual level, um, that's something that like you really have to ask yourself of like being able to back and recognize like what do you like I when I like I said like I know that it's a habit of mine that if I get anxious I'll reach for my phone and I'll like play like a stupid little game you know because it's like because I it's just my it's the way that I can kind of get away from my anxiety but that's not dealing with my anxiety that's still there um, so it's you know like in a, at what point do I like just put my phone in my backpack or just you know turn it off when I'm like when I'm in situations where I know I'll get anxious and I don't get tempted, you know, so it's um, a lot of it. I feel like also, um, just as Ruby said, um, 
like is is very much the individual um, choice of and the introspection is incredibly important. Uh, yeah, I guess to add to that as well, like I don't know if the if if that's something that we can do, like sign off. I think there's just too much momentum kind of like perpetuated uh, because we live in a capitalist society, right? And and kind of like what drives uh, what what drives a large part portion of the internet is like the capitalist mentality, right? Like basically, the internet is not free. Like Facebook is not free. You you don't pay for it like in monetary terms, but like you know all the all the, the thumbs up and all those likes. It's it's programmed, like you know Ravi was saying. It's 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 all kind of like they studied how we interact with this, and they're using, they're utilizing that against, not necessarily against us, but to to extract extrapolate information from us, right, and to sell advertisements, right, and so this whole thing is perpetuated through uh, capitalism, and so I don't necessarily know that, uh, and I don't see it stopping anytime soon. So I don't necessarily know that it's like something that we're gonna, okay, we all need to just sign off. I don't think that's kind of like very realistic. I feel like um, it's more. It's more about like what do we do now? Like what we have all these these systems in place. How do we how do we implement new systems to kind of like counteract uh, what we know? And so I think a, a big you know uh, portion of that is to kind of like spread awareness about like uh, you know uh, you know uh, these these issues and kind of educate people and like learn from our mistakes and establish uh, kind of like. Um, defense mechanisms against it, so. Oh. Right, so um, I think it, my question really dovetails his, his commentary about it. Um, so <coughs> we understand that there's a growing body of knowledge about the deleterious effects of social media and being in the digital age, but what are you as practitioners, how is that body of knowledge informing what you're doing on the ground, uh, whether through like the mental health profession or through your own individual practices. I think two very good examples that I heard was sort of like uh, the Facebook thing and being able to explain that that sort of uh, sort of process. Mm -hmm. um, you your individual story about how you recognize the anxiety. And so can you point people to best practices, or are you each of you working on best practices for your communities that would be more actionable than you know, say, oh, hey, you should go reflect about like how social media, you know, does this to you. But yeah, that's what I would like to be interested in. I think uh, uh, in terms of uh, how it affects me personally, I mean, I deactivated Facebook uh, after going through a process of uh, kind of dissatisfaction with it, exploring this, the research, etc., and then just getting really fed up with the polarization. I think that's the ultimate uh, idea, and I just reactivated just to promote my book, and that's all. And I really try not to engage uh, uh, because it's, it, you know, I, I've seen the downside. I think the whole idea is conscious adaptation to really choose rather than being sucked into the conformist, passive flow of uh, whatever's available. And so it's really about making your choice based on your knowledge and wisdom. I mean, maybe for some people, the fact that their relationships are being monetized is uh, is is a problem, and so they don't want to do that. Um, and uh, other people, the privacy issue uh, becomes a problem. Um, and, and then other people might say, "Okay, well, this is uh, affecting me in negative and positive ways. How do I weigh those out? 
what's my intention in the world? Uh, and what's my intention of how I want to connect with other people? And so I think that's why I think there's, you know, I think there's probably gonna be a very different uh, adjustment as people go through their life cycle and uh, adapt in different ways. But I think it's conscious adaptation. as a mental health educator on campus, I realized, okay, it's not a, I shouldn't be like, no, 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 like to students, but really like, how do we use it for what, what, what we're trying to do? You know, like, yeah, we're trying to recognize signs of a friend in distress and then like using the mindfulness app. So it's like really using technology to our advantage and what we want out of it versus like the other way versus it like sucking the life out of us, right? So it's just like, just trying to address it that way because I feel like, yeah, social media technology is like not gonna slow down anytime soon, you know? Yeah, for, for me, I've like struggled to deactivate my Facebook. I've like deactivated it like a hundred times. Uh, and the horrible thing is they make it really easy to activate it. All you actually have to do is just sign on. Um, so technically, it's just like logging off for a really long time. Um, uh, so it's it's I, I think it's hard to to say, and, and I really think it is about reflecting about how and, and becoming intentional with how you want to interact with people, right? How how it and then um, how it impacts. Like what I've had to do is like really take a look at how um, my uh, interaction with uh, social media has impacted like the relationships around me and whether or not that's something that I that I like and how do I um, and, and just realizing and even recognizing how hard it is to get myself away from that I think was really telling for me about how much of an impact and how much like how addicted I am to it um, you know like and to Say, like, but I've also used, um, like, in in my um, like practice with my, you know, in my, in my therapeutic practice with my clients, I I use it. Like, if I use it, whatever they bring in. If they bring in a like a YouTube video, if they bring in. So I have a client that I play games with. Like, that's what I do, and and it, especially because they're limited in terms of what they can do, or like, I mean, like, and I have other clients that I. I've like I've, you know, I played Pokemon Go with my client. You know, it's like, like it's it's just if I want to engage, particularly with like you know younger generation where this is such like a, a very real and important aspect of their life, um, they put pour themselves into this, and so if I want to know about them, and I think this is something that like the, the therapists are kind of struggling with who work with youth. It's just like, how do you, like, especially in play therapy, you know, if, if they pick, up a, pick out a board game, that's awesome. Like, therapists, kid, you know, child therapists will know how to work with that. But you, they come in and they want to play a game, they want to, you know, like, like that, you know, then, then we're like, no, 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 that's not allowed in the room. But at the same time, it's, it really is a reflection of what they're going through and why, they, why are they so attracted to that game? What characters in that game do they find really fascinating? Like, like do you know, like does, do they find themselves like 
feeling more powerful in this game? Do they have a sense of control? And so it's, I think the, the thinking around technology in the therapy room is, is starting to, it's just like, it's just developing. So it, like it's, it's like in my own life, I try to really distance myself from it, but I embrace it if it, or if I try to in the therapy room. Any more questions? Now we'll go ahead and get Just for me, I think most people uh, have talked about social media problems, like disconnections happening on social media, uh, problematic usage, or uh, having problems with what people post, etc. Um, but it can be positive too. I mean, you know, uh, uh, when the Me Too campaign is uh, going, still going on, but when it started, um, many of my patients talked about it, uh, but in positive and more more difficult ways. I mean, one patient was very triggered. I had nightmares about it because it kind of brought home her own experiences much more powerfully. And until she could connect with her partner and with me and kind of talk it through, it, you know, it was difficult. So, uh, so I think for me, social media has definitely been the most prominent aspect. Um, yeah. Um, Anyways, I think that's uh, all we're going to have today for the panel. Why don't we give them a round of applause, please?